We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Glenn Macnow today alongside Ray Dinger. And it's kind of a sad day, Ray. Uh, good morning, first off. It's been a long time. I haven't seen you in a while, Ray. It's, it's a pleasure to see you this morning. Great to see you. It's been um, – we used to be uh, you used to be part of the team. It was you, me, and Glenn pretty much every weekend for years and years. And then you went off and became a star in your own right. <laughs> uh, and we did, a sh- we did do a show together in this studio. But I think it's probably been almost two years now. I think, Ray, I'm pretty sure it was the Saturday after COVID had like really hit everybody and sports had shut down. So, yeah, almost two years. I mean, it's been a really long time. And obviously, like you said, we worked together a ton at Delaware Park and ShopRite and all those remote remotes over the weekends. Yep. But uh, nice to be back with you hosting today. There's certainly a lot to talk about. Oh, the there is. There always is. So uh, a ton to get into today. We'll get into the Eagles and their offseason, the Sixers post-James Harden trade, and also... Uh, some thoughts on the Super Bowl as well, but it's always sad, Ray, this first Sunday, and I know you loving football the way you do. How do you feel on this first Sunday without football, knowing we got to wait, what, seven months for a real game again? <laughs> uh, it does feel a little strange that there's no game. Um, but I am, um, am knee-deep in my uh, draft preparations. So uh, that's, that's what I'm sort of... I'm, there's no game, but there's plenty of football. Is kind of what I'm saying. I, and I've started, I've started really, really going through the uh, draft stuff and uh, trying to figure out who the players are. I, you know, watch the uh, watch Senior Bowl, um, watch the East West Shrine Game, uh, just try to get a line on on what what this college crop looks like and what the Eagles are going to have to choose from. And uh, good news for Eagles fans is that there's. There's some really, really good defensive players in this group. I mean, Glenn and I were talking about that a little bit yesterday. And um, the stuff that everybody had been kind of speculating about going into the postseason, that uh, you know, this is going to be a really good defensive draft, and I think we all know the Eagles need to address their defense. Uh, those players are there. And uh, anybody that watched the, the anybody that saw the practices down at Mobile for the Senior Bowl and then watched the Senior Bowl, you saw it for sure. I mean, there are some really, really good defensive players. And uncommonly uncommonly strong at, at edge rusher, which is a position that the Eagles need at least one, maybe even two guys. So those guys are there in this draft. If you're, if that's what you're looking for, they're going to be there. No, no doubt. And when you look at this offseason, Ray, and if you want to get in 215-592-9494, but you know, the holes on both sides of the ball. We know the Eagles on offense have issues at receiver and you know finding playmakers, but when you look at this offseason, do you think it's really about kind of building up this defense and finding a way to really be stronger on that side of the ball? Because the way they played this year, you know, they're able to have some success later in the season, but a lot of that against subpar competition. Would you really right. focus on, on beefing up this defense this offseason? Yeah, that's where I, that's where I would go. Um, to me, it looks... Um... I think that you know if you go if you look at the offensive side, I think I don't know what they're going to do a quarterback. If I were them, I would go with Hertz for another year. Uh, the offensive line, I think, is is 
really good. Uh, I don't think you have to do much with the offensive line. You might want some depth, but I think the offensive line is good. Uh, you've got running backs. Smith is a really good receiver who's only going to get better. Goddard's your tight end. Uh, you probably need one other wide receiver. You need another veteran receiver. Um, but I think offensively, you've got you've got the makings of a pretty good unit. Um, defensively, to me, I think you really need to you, you really need an infusion of good young talent. Um, you need edge rushers for sure. Um, you know, I doubt that Barnett will be back. You know, Graham will be back, which will help. But I mean, he's going to be 34 this season. So an edge rusher or two. Um, it's certainly time to address the linebacker position. I mean, it has to be done. You need to get playmakers there. You just don't. You, what the Eagles have too long been playing with special teams guys at, at linebackers. Basically, what they are. Right. I mean, they're 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 special teams guys that you're making into linebackers. They're not difference making players. You look at the really good teams in the NFL. The really good defenses. They got playmakers at linebacker. They got guys that make game changing plays. The Eagles don't have those, and it's it's time that they go and get one. And then in the secondary, I think you need help in the secondary. I think you need another corner. I don't know if you're bringing Nelson back. Uh, I think you can upgrade there. Uh, Slay has been a good player, Pro Bowl player this year, but he's on the other side of thirty. And at safety, I mean, I don't know if McLeod's coming back or not, uh, but he's also over thirty. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the good players that you have, the best players you have over there are all guys that are over 30. So you need to get younger. You need to get faster. You need to get more athletic. And um, this is the good draft to do it. That's why, you know, Glenn and I have spent a fair amount of time talking about it over this last weekend was the idea that, okay, you see what a really elite player, just one really elite defensive player added to a team, what a difference it can make. You know, what Micah Parsons did for the Cowboys. I mean, they went from being – one of the worst defenses in the league, to really one of the better ones this year, and really on the strength of that one addition. I mean, that one guy came in and made all the difference. Well, you have an opportunity this year with this group of players that are in this draft, with the talent that's available, and the number of picks and high picks that you have to fortify. You, I mean, you have the opportunity, if you're the Eagles, to transform this defense from one that just, just was just barely okay. And I don't care what the stats said. They're tenth, number 10 defense. They, they, they weren't that good. I mean, they, I think the stats are misleading. Right. They need to get better. They need to get younger. They certainly need to get faster. And you have the picks. And if you look at the talent, there you have the players. Yeah, and part of what frustrated me, Ray, and I think a lot of people, is like, we're so used to Eagles defenses, whether it was under Jim Johnson or even under Schwartz to a degree, like getting after the passer and and creating that kind of pressure. And they really didn't do that this year. Is that, is that more on Jonathan Gannon or is that the personnel or is it uh, a combination of both when you look at why they had so many uh, issues in that regard? Yeah, I think it was um, – I think it's both. Uh, I think it's both. They, um, You know, Gannon was very conservative in his approach. Uh he was a guy that was very committed to playing the two deep safeties and uh, not blitzing very much. I mean, their blitz ratio was near the bottom of the league. Just didn't take many chances. Uh, and against good quarterbacks and against good teams, it cost them. I mean, those guys would just stand back there and they just pick that defense apart. Um, I mean, he has to know the limitations of that. But I think he was trying to play within within the talent that he had. Uh, and if he got better players, if he got good players, if he got guys that could win the one-on-ones up front, uh, that could generate that pressure, um, if he got a linebacker who could re- was an effective blitzer, you know, he, if, would he use that? Mm, yeah, I think he probably would. He just didn't have them. But if he got them, if you went and you got him those players, you know, I think he, he, would, he would step up the pace of that defense. And 
you know, I, I saw, you know, you you look at where they finished statistically in terms of, you know, number 10 overall yards, blah, blah, blah. But if you look at third down, how good were they on third down? Not very. How good were they enforcing turnovers? Not very. How good were they in the red zone? Not very. I mean, those are the... Those are the areas where you really win in today's NFL. You got to be aggressive. You got to make big plays. You got to force turnovers. You got to do all of those things. And you got to be really good on third down. You got to be really good in the red zone. And if you look in all those areas, the Eagles were in the bottom third of the league. So, yeah, they're 10th overall. But in all those areas that are really generally week to week, what win, win the difference between winning and losing games, the Eagles were sort of near the bottom. So, was part of it philosophical? Yeah, I think it was. But I think Gannon would be a different kind of coach if he had better players to work with. Yeah, definitely. And I do need to say, Ray, while it was frustrating watching the game, seeing them not get pressure, I would enjoy turning to the post-game show after the game just to see Seth's reaction when Jonathan Gannon would not be aggressive in late-game situations. Like It cracked me up every time to see Seth just go nuts at the lack of aggressiveness. Uh, I think it's safe to say that's not the style that he likes to see play. No, <laughs> that, that's fair to say. That's fair to say. Just <laughs> uh, I sat next to him during all those games, and it just drove him crazy. <laughs> you can it just, feel it through the television. Yeah, it just drove him crazy. I would sit next to him, and I... You know, I couldn't argue. I couldn't argue with him um, because I knew exactly what he was saying, and I understood with exactly what he was saying. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why this is a. This is a I'm going off topic here a moment, but uh, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I really would like to see him coaching in the league. I would really like to see him get an opportunity to coach because, um, you know, I've sat next to him for a long time now and watched a lot of football with him and. Uh, and his his ability to um, decipher what's happening and anticipate what's happening um, is is extraordinary. I mean, he's really, in addition to being a great player, uh, he was also an extremely smart player. I don't think people understood a lot of how much of his success was due. I know he was physical and he was tough and he was scary, mean, but he was also extremely smart and extremely astute uh, because he studied a ton of film and he's a smart guy. And he has great instincts. Um, and he had a great career as a player. I think he could have a great career as a coach. I would love to see him have that opportunity. I mean, I always say to him, look, I love working with you. I mean, I really do enjoy spending my Sundays with you. It's fun. I enjoy it. But simply put, you're wasting your time in a TV studio. You should be coach. You should have a headset on and be coaching this team because I think he'd be really good at it. I, I would love to see. And he's finally reached a point in his life where he would do it. You know, for the longest time when I would say it to him, I'd say, you know, I've got kids, coaching's a tough life, you work, you're, you never come home, you're in the office all the time. And I know he's, he would be one of those guys. Um, but now, in the last two years, his kids are kind of gone. Uh, and he said to me, you know, if the right opportunity came along, I would do it. Uh, and I would love to see him get that opportunity. I would love to see him get that opportunity here. Uh, but I'd love to see him get it somewhere. Because I think if he had a chance to coach, be it at the college level or in the NFL, I think he would do a terrific job. Yeah, well, he certainly has the passion. There's there's, there's no doubt about that. Yes. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. And, you know, questions about this offseason. Eagles, whether you think they should build through the offense or the defense, and we'll get into all of it throughout the course of the show today. Let's get started on the phones with Mark in Mount Laurel. What's up, Mark? Hi, how are you? Yeah. Good. What's going on? 
Um, I have a question for Ray. Uh, several weeks ago, he had mentioned there was a quarterback's coach out in California that had helped a, a number of NFL players. Yes. And he had gotten the information to Howie Roseman. Yes. And Roseman said that he would check it out. Right. And I was just wondering if you had any more information about the possibility of Hertz seeing this coach. Oh, um, yeah, that was a year ago. Um, that was a year ago. The, the fellow I'm talking about is uh, Jordan, Jordan Palmer. He's Carson Palmer's brother. Uh, and um, was a quarterback himself, and, uh, but did not have his older brother's ability, skill level. Uh, he played in college, uh, got drafted into the NFL, and kicked around practice squad kind of guy, but never had much of an NFL career. But he was a really good um, student of football. And, and he made football mechanics kind of his specialty. He kind of became the quarterback repairman. And, um, and a lot of quarterbacks went to him in, and in the offseason and worked with him. And the list of them, I mean, you go through Mahomes, uh, Josh Allen. I mean, a lot of people give him the credit for the turnaround in Josh Allen, that Josh Allen went and worked with him and came back a 100% different player, uh, and largely because of what Palmer did with, with Allen's mechanics. This is what he does. I mean, he takes quarterbacks and, and knocks them down to the ground and rebuilds them all over again. Um, yeah, and I suggested to Howie, I said, why don't you, instead of letting this guy just be a quarterback coach for hire, why don't you make him your quarterback coach? Bring him in, bring him in, give him an office, and let him work with your guys instead of working with other people. Uh, but Howie said that, uh, that Palmer likes his lifestyle. He likes the fact that he, he kind of calls his own shots. He works as much as he wants to work. He's out on the golf course every day by noon. If you're a football coach, an assistant football coach, that ain't the life you're leading. You're in an office watching tape all the time. So, yeah, I, I, he said, listen, it's a great idea. We've, everybody's thought about it. And those of us that have approached Jordan Palmer, Jordan Palmer's just kind of said, you know what? I appreciate the call, but no, I kind of like what I'm doing right now. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate the call. And, and off that, Ray, you know, you look at Jalen Hurts this season. How, how would you evaluate the way – that he played this year, and you see a, a lot of room for growth with Jalen as a passer, and do you think he can kind of clean up some of his deficiencies in that area? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I do, because the improvement that he's made, the improvement, well, there, there are two tiers to the improvement. There's, there's the improvement that he has made from his time at Alabama, and then there's the improvement he's made just within one year in, with, as the starting quarterback with the Eagles. Um, and they're both huge. I mean, the improvement that he made from the guy that he was <clears throat> when we first saw him at Alabama, where, um, and I've used the term, and it really is, he looked like a running back playing quarterback. He really didn't look like a quarterback. Um, I mean, he didn't have any, th anything you would even remotely call f fundamentals. I mean, he was, just, he was just a runner who could throw. Um, by the time he went to Oklahoma, he had improved considerably. He was not the finished product, but he had improved a lot. You could, you could see that he had worked on it. And then when he came to the NFL, you know, he, and, and he was handed the starting job, you saw this year he was a lot better than he was last year. Uh, and the improvement in just statistically in terms of completion percentage went up by 10%. Yards, average yards per attempt went up significantly. I mean, you could measure it through the stats, but you could also measure it through just watching him play. Um, I thought he made a lot of progress this year. And I think he will continue to make progress because he's a guy who's really driven and will put in the time uh, to get better. So it, he's, he's still got a lot of work to do. And 
what I am I going to sit here and tell you that he has the ceiling of Josh Allen or that he has the ceiling of a Patrick Mahomes in terms of talent level? Probably not. But I, I do think that when you see what he accomplished this year, which was taking over basically as a rookie quarterback, playing for a rookie head coach with a team that I don't think anybody realistically thought had a shot at going to the playoffs and took him to the playoffs. I mean, he played pretty well this year. Uh, and I would like to give him another opportunity to see him. I think he will continue to improve. Will he ever become Patrick Mahomes? Probably not. But he's already good enough that you can win with him. And if he continues to get better, you know, I think I think that the win total could go up. I, I think that he's a, I think he's a really I think he's a guy who's one of the things he has that is not a small thing is he clearly has the team behind him. Yeah, you know, he, he clearly has the guys on the team like him they believe in him they play hard for him and that's that is not an insignificant thing is is for a quarterback you always have to weigh how the guys in the team feel about him do they really believe in this guy will they play hard for this guy uh do they believe that he's all in before they get all in with him and if you see the eagles players they clearly believe in jalen hurts he's got the team behind him so that's why i'm saying look as much as he improved this year as a quarterback and seeing that he clearly has all of his teammates behind him, I want to give him another year to see how far they can take this. Yeah, no doubt. And when you look at the previous quarterback, Ray, that's certainly something that that he dealt with, whether it was Nick Foles coming in and and going on that run, and then Jalen Hurts in 2020. You know, that was something that, that seemed to plague Carson, at least toward the end of his time here in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it certainly did. Um, you don't have that. You don't have that with Hurts here. Um, I think what's unfortunate is that everybody sort of hangs on the memory of the last game. Right. And the last game was probably the worst game he played all year. It was the, was the playoff game. It was, it was a clunker. There's no question about that. And, and he knows it, and the coaches know it. But that doesn't necessarily invalidate everything that, about having get, getting you to the playoffs. I mean, he did a lot of good stuff this year, uh, and he improved in a lot of significant ways. And if you figure that going into next year that he will be better and the head coach will be better, um, I think that this team's in, in a position that offensively, at least, they can take a, 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 yet another step forward. But one of the things that they have to do is they have to get better on defense. They have to get more help from their defense. Yeah, no doubt. When we get back, I do want to ask you, Ray, about some of your uh, favorite defensive prospects coming up this year in the draft. Sure. Guys that maybe the Eagles could target in the first round. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. You want to talk about the draft, Eagles offseason, also Sixers. Um, you're still, we're still breaking down the Super Bowl from last week. So whatever you want to get into, you're welcome to today. I'm Tom Kelly in for Glenn Mack now, along with Ray Dinger right here on Sports Radio 94 WIP. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast baseball is back and so is mlb.tv watch every out-of-market regular season game on your favorite streaming devices anywhere anytime all season long follow the action live or on demand Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly filling in for Glenn Mack now on this Sunday morning alongside Ray Dinger. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. But, you know, Ray, we're talking about the draft and these three first-round picks and the Eagles obviously needing to address the defense. Um, You know, you talked about this being a good year to address the defense at that part of the draft. Are there any guys in particular that you're already looking at and you think would be good fits here or are those kind of like difference-making players? Because when I look at it, at least, the, the Eagles have some solid guys on that side of the ball, but... I feel like they don't really have like those difference-making guys that, like you alluded to in the first segment, like Micah Parsons and players like that. Right, yeah, that's those guys that are truly impact players, those guys that are difference-making players. Yeah, they don't really have those guys. Um, and the fact is, there I, I do believe that there are those guys in this draft and, and in numbers, I mean, quite a few of them. Um, but to your point, and, and kind of what I was alluding to right before we went to the break. If you look at the Eagles statistically this year, they were 10th overall in if ranking defenses. And this is part of the reason why Jonathan Gannon was getting interviewed for head coaching jobs. And, you know, they were number 10 overall in defense, which is pretty respectable. But if you look at it this, if you look at it this way, they were 31st in sacks. On third down, they were tw- they were 23rd. In the red zone, they were 29th. So in all of those areas where big play kind of things, big stops, when you need to stop, third down, get them off the field, they were not particularly good. Teams get the ball down inside the red zone, they were not particularly good. The plays where you take the ball away from the other team, force a turnover, flip field position, take away a possession, they weren't particularly good. They were good at minimizing yardage, you know, but that was by the nature of the kind of defense they played. They didn't give up a, they did not give up a ton of big plays. Right. But in all of those plays that, 
and you were talking about game-changing kinds of plays, they were in the bottom third of the league. And some of that's philosophical, but a lot of it is talent. You need those kinds of players to make those kinds of plays. And that's where, that's where right now you look at their roster, they're short. But, again, you come back to this draft, those players are out there, and the Eagles, with three picks in the top 19, have an opportunity to get some. And you, you asked about players that I really like. Um, you know, Glenn and I have been talking over the course of the season. I talked a ton uh, about the University of Georgia team. I thought, I thought from the time I saw them at the beginning of the year, I said, this defense is lights out. I mean, they are really good. Uh, and there are a bunch of guys on that Georgia defense that, to me, there's no question they're going to be playing in the NFL. Uh, and so, you know, and I started watching this Nakobe Dean, who was a linebacker with them early. He's incredible. He's incredible. Incredible player. I mean, he really is. And um, I've seen you're starting, the mock drafts are starting to roll out now, so everybody's sort of projecting where people are going to go. And I've seen several mock drafts, and they've got Nakobe Dean going in the top ten. Um, and I, and I've said to Glenn, maybe I'll be proven wrong. I don't know. I don't think he's going to go that high. Like, I really like him. And I think he's the kind of, um, catalyst kind of player that that could just really lift your defense. Um, and I would love to see him playing for the Eagles next year. Um, but then you would say, oh, geez, a top 10, you're not going to be, you're not get a chance at him. I think they will. See, I don't think he's going to get drafted as high as he should because he's, people are going to be worried about his size. Right. He's, fine. He's, going, he's, going, he's going to measure the combines coming up in a couple of weeks, and they're going to measure them and weigh them and all that stuff. And he's going to come in at 5'11", 222, or something like that. And a lot of these scouts are going to say, oh, no, nah, he's too small. And so he'll get drafted in the first round. But I would, be, I would be willing to bet you that he will be there at 15. So I don't think the Eagles have to do a whole lot of maneuvering. If that's the player they want, and I think he would be a great addition, to go, oh, man, we're going to have to put two picks together to jump up and get him. No, I think he would be there at 15 if that's a guy that, if that's a guy that you want. And if I were the Eagles, that's, a guy, that's a, certainly a guy I would want. And then I would take, um, you know, if you could do that, if you could get him and then an edge rusher, you know, with those first two picks, you get um, – mm, uh, Jermaine Johnson, let's say, from Florida State, uh, who I was almost positive would be there in the teens because there are so many of these good players. They're not all going to get taken at the top. I thought that he would last to the middle of the round. Unfortunately, he went down to Mobile and tore up, tore up the camp. I mean, he was really, really good. So his stock has probably gone up. Uh, but if you could come out of there, hold on to 15 and 16, not trade him, Hold on to 15 and 16 and come away with uh, Jermaine Johnson and uh, N'Kobe Dean. Those are the two kinds of players I'm talking about. Those are the two kind of guys that come in, have immediate impact, and be game-changing kinds of players. Now, when you look at linebackers, right, obviously we made a lot about this in the past. The Eagles not really valuing that position highly. I mean, I can't even remember the last time they drafted a linebacker in the first round. Uh, But I'm sure you do. Jerry Robinson, 1979. Okay. So uh, is that something, a philosophical thing that should change in Jonathan Gannon's defense? Because you see where he comes from, you know, from the Zimmer kind of school in Minnesota. And then with the Colts where they have a guy like Darius Leonard, is it more important in this style of defense that that playmaking linebacker? Because I guess in, in Schwartz's defense, it wasn't as big of a priority. Well, I think it go back even before that. I think it's... Um... It's, it's really kind of philosophical, it's, uh, and a lot of it's economic. A lot of it's driven by the economics. That um, when Joe Banner 
when Joe Banner came in and, Joe, and Jeffrey bought the team and Joe brought Joe in and Joe kind of controlled how the money was spent. Uh, his approach was they prioritized certain positions based on how much money you could spend relative to that salary cap. So they decided that on defense, you know, we're going to, okay, we'll spend money for defensive ends. We'll spend money for pass rushers. We'll spend money for cornerbacks. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll invest our money on the edges. And our third priority will be interior defensive linemen. Um, but linebackers, eh. You know, the, they kind of, their kind of view was the way, the way football was trending, more and more teams were going to nickel and dime coverages, and a lot of line, linebackers weren't playing a whole ton of snaps. Mm-hmm. So, okay, why spend all of our money on guys that on third down are going to come off the field? So that was, kind of, that was really kind of how this became institutionalized with the Eagles, was we're going to spend our money on these guys. We're not going to spend money on linebackers because linebackers are one down or two down players at the best. Uh, and that just kind of became baked into the whole Eagles organization. And that's become, even though Joe Banner's gone, that kind of has lived on. But if you look around the league and you see the really good defenses and you see these linebackers playing sideline to sideline and making big, big plays, you realize, no, linebackers are still important. And you, you don't necessarily have to, oh, just make them interchangeable parts. And I always thought if you look back on the Eagles team, I mean, one of the guys that they – one of the guys who was truly an impact player on the Andy Reid defense was Jeremiah Trotter. No doubt. I mean, and he might, if you're talking about real impact linebackers, he might be the last one. I can't think of one since that's been a guy that was, you would say, was a difference-making player. Right. But Trot certainly was. Uh, and look what he contributed to those teams. So I'm, I'm sorry, fellas. Those, those kinds of players still win football games in the NFL, and they always will. And I think the Eagles would be wise to go out and get themselves that kind of a player. And the fact is, Nicobe Dean is one of them in this draft, but he's not the only one. I mean, there, there, there are multiple guys there like that. There's an, another linebacker, really good player named Devin Lloyd from Utah, who's, who's going to go high. In fact, he may, he may wind up being drafted higher than Dean because he, he sort of fits the prototype size-wise, mm-hmm. uh, but he's also a really good player. Uh, I mean, there are a bunch of them. There are a bunch of really good linebackers, a bunch of really good defensive linemen, more on the edges than in the middle. Uh, and some good safeties and some good corners. I mean, this is really a good defensive draft. But that's good that it sets up well for the Eagles uh, theoretically this, this year going into the draft. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to Bob and Wilmington has a question about the linebackers. What's up, Bob? Yes. Good morning, guys. Ray, you just answered my question. Um, uh, I'm a Dean fan myself, but I, I was trying to get your take on Devin Lloyd. Uh, if you had your choice, which way you would go and and why? Um, he seems to be. You know, a qualified first-round pick or a high first-round pick? Uh, yes, yes. Um, in fact, it would not shock me if he wound up being picked uh, ahead of Dean. Just because, again, when they go to the combine, they're going to you know measure these guys, they're going to weigh these guys, they're going to do all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, Dean will pass that test. I mean, he's, you know, he's bigger. And, uh, and he, is, he is really good. I mean, there's no question about that. He's really, he's really a good player. Um, he's, you know, he's six, two and a half, he's 230 pounds. He'll probably run four, seven. Um, and he's got, he's got versatility. I mean, he can play inside or you could play him outside. You could play him at Sam. You could play him at will. You could play him at Mike. I mean, he's done all of that at Utah and he could probably do the same thing in the NFL. Um, he can rush I, the passer too, right? He can, he can. There's very little, there's very little that he can't do. I think he's got. 
Um, he's got a lot of versatility, which is why he's going to be a high first-round pick. Um, and listen, would he would he help the Eagles too? He sure would. I mean, he's that good of a player. But you asked me if I had to choose between the two. If, yeah. if I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the board and they're both there, I would take Dean. Uh, I think that uh, even though Dean is going to be smaller, um, I mean, I just watched him play for that Georgia team this year, and I saw how many big plays he made in big situations in big games. And he just has uh, an instinct, an ability to know where the ball's going and be there, be there before the blockers. Um, I don't want to... I don't like to compare players because it's, it's, it's always unfair. But he has, he has an instinct that reminds me of, of, of Ray Lewis. Wow. You know, I mean, and I'm not saying he is Ray Lewis because Ray Lewis was truly a special player. But one of, the, one of Ray Lewis's great qualities, in addition to his intensity and his fierce desire to win, was he had an, an incredible ability to diagnose plays. Uh, and a lot of it was film study. He could tell by formation where – pretty much where the play was going to go, uh, and and he would be there. I mean, he could just read it before the ball was snapped, and he always pretty much beat you to the punch. It's one of the reasons why he was a great player. I see, and a lot of that is film study, but a lot of it is also instinctive. And I see a lot of those same kind of instincts in Dean. Uh, and I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to come into the NFL and be a, be a really good player right away. I noticed in the championship game, it looks like he's got some leadership qualities too. He was moving guys around and getting guys set up in position, and they were, you know, he he was telling guys where to go. Oh, and for stuff sure, like that. for <laughs> sure. That's yeah. That's 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 one of the things I really like about him on a on a on a really elite defense with a lot of with a lot of players who are going to be NFL players and probably first round draft picks. They all look to him from play to play as far as where should we line up what should we do he was the unquestioned leader of that team that's another one of the qualities you certainly saw in ray lewis at miami i mean miami had a lot of blue chip players too but they all looked to ray ray for you know from play to play for that leadership thing this kid kind of has that same sort of personality it seems yeah, it was real. It was real noticeable that he was the, the the king of the defense out there. Okay, that that answers my question. Thanks a lot, guys. Okay, thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate the call. And Ray, another player that I wanted to ask you about because you know we've obviously seen in this city the kind of impact a playmaking safety uh, can can have with Brian Dawkins for years. What are your thoughts on Kyle Hamilton? Because watching him play at Notre Dame, he's a guy I really like. And is there is there any chance that he could make it down to where the Eagles pick in the first round, or is that wishful thinking? Uh, I think that's very wishful thinking. <laughs> I think it's very wishful thinking. I, I haven't seen a, um, I haven't seen a mock draft yet that has him getting out of the top five. Oh, well. Now, it's it, the draft breaks down in funny ways, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is a school of thought where, boy, he's really a good player. Boy, he's really a good player. But he's a safety, right? You know, do you, you know, are we really going to draft a safety? We got the third pick in the draft. Are we really going to take a safety number three? And team. Teams will talk themselves out of taking a really good player because eh, nobody takes safeties that high. Well, you know what? If they're that good, maybe you should. Uh, and and Hamilton is a guy that I think a lot of people saw because he played at Notre Dame. He played. He was on TV all the time. Um, when I first people told me about him, and I the first time I saw him, I thought he doesn't look like a safety. You know, he, he's he's six four and a half. He's 220 pounds. Uh, he just doesn't, you know, my, and I guess it's from having watched Doc all these years. 
I have in my mind's eye, I kind of have an idea of what a safety looks like. Right. You know, like Doc, like Ed Reed, like that kind of thing. You know, small, compact, thick. You know, I, I don't think of safeties as being six four, six five. So I kind of had to get past that with Hamilton. But when you saw him play, you said, oh, no, this guy's really good. I mean, I just saw that first game of the year against Clemson. The interception that he had where he just goes basically sideline to sideline on one play and, like, keeps his foot in bounds and is able to make a pick on, on uh, you know, Clemson in that game was just – you very rarely see safeties who have that kind of range. And it, he's just an incredible player. Yeah, um, range is a big part of it, which you would expect from a big guy. But um, as I watched him more over the course of the season with Notre Dame, I mean, one of the things that I thought, wow, this is – yeah. This is good. Uh, is that they used him in so many roles? I mean, he didn't. He wasn't just like like when I saw what he looked like initially. I thought he's just going to play center field. That's what they're going to use him for because he has that kind of range. But depending from week to week who they were playing and, and the kinds of players that team had, they had no problem bringing him up and putting him man for man on a slot receiver. You know, they dropped him down in the box to play against the run. You know, they matched him up one on one on the outside with stuff. I mean, they. They moved him all over the place and asked him to do multiple things. And frankly, there wasn't anything he couldn't do. So I think that kind of versatility is the reason that even though you don't often see safeties go like super high in the draft, there's no way this guy doesn't go very high. So, yeah, if, if, that's, if that's who the Eagles have targeted as a player – you're not going to get him at 15. Yeah, you probably have to move up for that one for sure. Yeah. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's go to Brandon Brookhaven. What's up, Brandon? Hey, guys. Uh, good afternoon. I have two questions or comments, one with the Flyers, one with about Carson Wentz. Sure. I'll start with a quick one first. Is With the trade line fastly approaching, where do you think Claude Giroux will end up? Do you think they'll move him? And Personally, I'm going to be rooting for him because I really like him. And I hope he is able to end his career on a high note with a cup or something like that. Oh, I agree with you. I, I, I agree with you. I think that I, I don't think there's any question he's going to get moved. Um, you know, he has the no trade clause, so he has to waive it. But if, you, if you've seen a couple of his press conferences lately, I mean, he's, he's all but said, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to leave. I love Philadelphia. This is my home. But according to reports, Colorado is his preference. The Av seems to be. And it, that makes sense. Yeah, because okay. he's at a point, and you, you watch him play. I mean, he can still play. Uh, he's just been stuck with an organization that's kind of lost its way right now. But, I mean, he's been a good player. He's been a good guy. Uh, and at this point, I would like to see him have an opportunity to, to make a realistic run at a cup. He's not going to do it with this team, so he might as well do it in Colorado. I hope he does, and I hope he wins one. Uh, my next question or comment, just give me a minute to explain, is uh, – I was a Carson Wentz fan, and of course I felt upset when he wanted to go and left. But uh, he kept on blaming that he didn't need to change. It was the Eagles' probably fault. Now, I'm just trying to paraphrase what he's probably thinking, of course. And he gets moved to uh, the Colts, the ideal situation for him with their, all the pieces around them. And then fast forward to now, now the Colts are looking to move, move him. I'm just wondering what the heck is he, what could possibly go through in Carson Wentz's mind. So my question or comment or whatever you want to say is, Ray, if he gets moved, is he going to be more humbled where he can maybe listen to coaching more? Or what do you think happened? I mean, I, I just – I'm perplexed. I can't get inside Carson Wentz's mind, obviously. No, but I, I, listen, Brandon. Like to, yeah, no, no, I, 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 
I hear what you're saying, and I, I fully understand it. I'm, I have a lot of the same thoughts myself. I, uh, uh, I really thought, I really thought that he was going to go to Indianapolis and play well. You know, I, I we had seen, we had a caller yesterday who said, you know, Carson Wentz was never that good. He was always overrated, and we are now going to get that revisionist history. I mean, people are now going to start saying that he was never that good. Go back to 2017 and, and look at that tape. Go back and watch. He was a truly special player then, that year. He was he tremendous. Was. He, was, he really was. I mean, he was, I mean, it was not, you know, I, I mean, I'm not overstating it to say he was the best player in the NFL for two-thirds of that season until the, he gets to the goal line in Los Angeles and then everything changed. Um, I think the, the, the knee injury turned out to be worse than everybody thought. Uh, they knew it was a bad knee injury, but when the surgeons got in there, they found out this wasn't just a fix. This was a rebuild. So um, that certainly impacted him. Um, I definitely think there's no way of measuring this, but I don't think there's any question that it was a tremendous impact for him to stand on the sidelines and watch Nick Foles win a Super Bowl uh, and then come back the next year and then have them hand him the ball and say, okay, now you go. It's That's pretty devastating, you know, and to, and to feel always feel that, the city was kind of looking at Nick Foles and saying, why not him? You know, it was, I, I can't think of another guy, another quarterback that was put in a comparable situation at that young point in his career and then, and then have to live with it. I think that had a lot to do with everything that's happened since then. Yeah, no doubt. And Ray, I think, you know, even beyond 2017, just to get hurt in 2018 and have it happen again at the end of that year to a lesser degree, but I mean, you remember Carson hurts his back, and it seems like they lose that game in Dallas. It seemed like the season was over. They go to L.A., and I think they're like 14.5-point underdogs in that game, and Nick Foles wins that one, and they go on a run again. And I feel like that year even compounded it even more when Wentz sees it two years in a row, and I think that really made it difficult for him after that. I think it definitely did. Um, and then there was just one injury after another. You know, it was his foot. Then it was his ankle. Uh, you know, then he gets the concussion in the playoff game against Seattle. Um, and I think just in terms of in 2017, when he was on that run before the injury, he was playing with such incredible confidence and you could just see he enjoyed playing the game. I mean, he enjoyed playing the game and there, and there wasn't an, there wasn't a game he didn't think he could win. There wasn't a game he didn't think he could win. I mean, he projected a confidence that lifted that whole team. Now people forget all that now. Sometimes by convenience, sometimes just by fate of memory. But I mean, if you go back and you look at it, I mean, he he was driving that he was driving that train for sure. Uh, and then after that, it was never the same. You know, and that when you watch him play, and there were, he had moments this year in Indianapolis where he played good. I mean, they had a stretch where the Colts were like nine and three, and he was playing good football, but he wasn't the same guy. He was. He was and when it got down to big situations and big moments and those two games at the end of the year that they had to win, right. you could just see that he was trying to force things and make plays that just weren't there. And I really thought that going to Indianapolis, playing for Frank Reich, having a really good running attack, a really good offensive line, a really good defense, that he wouldn't feel like he had to do everything. And he could find kind of a comfort zone there. And I thought he was going to have a big bounce back year. But at the end, when it all kind of came down to him, he just didn't have the confidence in himself to finish to close the deal, and and from everything I've t from everyone I've talked to or heard from this week, it's for real that the Colts are moving on from him. It's just a question of whether they're going to be able to trade him. But if they can't trade him, they're going to cut him. And here's a guy who's going to he's no no Tommy. He's not a young man anymore. No, he's not a kid. I mean, he'll be thirty this season. 
he's at a point in his career where, where does he go? It's just crazy how it ended up like this. Like, I know. It, it really is. Like, like him leaving Philadelphia, like I, I I agreed. I thought he would have more success with I- Indianapolis than he did this year. And it's just crazy that after one year that they'd be moving on and that, you know, he may never be a, a starter in this league again. Like I see him as, as going somewhere and maybe competing for jobs, being one of those bridge guys to, to a younger quarterback. But that seemed inconceivable a couple of years ago. Yeah, I would have never envisioned this. I mean, listen, when I saw him playing in 2017, I mean, my feeling was that they got the guy. I mean, he's going to play here 10, 15 years. You know, you're going to you're going to win a Super Bowl, multiple Super Bowls with this guy. I mean, I really felt he had it, you know. And but it right now he's right now he's a broken player. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of his mechanics, in terms and certainly in terms of his confidence. And if he can't rebuild it with Frank Reich. I don't know if he can be rebuilt. Yeah, no doubt. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, I'm Tom Kelly filling in for Glenn Mack now alongside Ray Dinger on this Sunday morning. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Glenn and Mack now on this Sunday morning alongside Ray Dinger. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, in the next segment, uh, we will go through the 2022 Hall of Fame class and uh, your thoughts on that, Ray. And specifically, I know you're you're very happy about Dick Vermeil uh, being inducted this uh, this year. Delighted, delighted. I'm so I'm so glad that that finally happened. Um, I know what it means to him. I know what it means to the guys who played for him, uh, who still love him like a father. Uh, there's going to be a, he's going to have a lot of fans out in Canton when, he, awesome. when he when he gets inducted. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll talk about Dick. And also, there's a, a couple of other guys in this Hall of Fame class that have strong Philadelphia ties. Art McNally, the, the head of officiating, who was, in, who was voted in. Uh, and also Sam Mills, who played with the Philadelphia Stars and then went on and had a great career with the New Orleans Saints and the, uh, uh, and the Carolina Panthers. So there's a very strong Philadelphia flavor to this Hall of Fame class. Yeah, definitely. So we'll get into that more uh, in the next segment here. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's go to Greg in South Florida. What's up, Greg? Hey, good morning, Greg. And, uh, and, um, <laughs> Tom, Tom, thanks, Greg. Tom, <laughs> Tom, when you were talking about linebackers and all I could think of, you know, growing up watching the Steelers, was Jack Lambert. And one of the linebackers I always liked for the Eagles, and I'd like them to get somebody like that, is, um, remember Jerry Robinson. Oh, yeah. I like those guys that roam, like you said, Ray, sideline to sideline. And uh, like a goalie in hockey, you know, you need a good linebacker to seize everything. It's like the quarterback, you know, the defense out there. D'Amico was a good one. Now look at him as a coach. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He's uh, he's proving to be a really good coach. He'll probably be a he'll probably be a head coach in this like pretty soon, sooner rather than later. But yeah, I I, I, I agree. Jerry was. Uh, we were just talking about the fact that Jerry is the last linebacker that the Eagles drafted in the first round, nineteen nineteen seventy nine. When the Eagles, that was the first first-round draft pick that Dick Vermeil had when he got here. He they, he came in '76, and they had traded away, they had traded away all their draft picks in '76, '77, and '78. Dick didn't have a first-round pick until '79. Uh, wow. It's hard, it's hard to believe that he was able to rebuild the team without high draft picks, but he did. And the first time he had a first-round pick, uh, he used what, what? He, he used it on Jerry Robinson, who who was a guy that he recruited, who was a kid that he recruited to come and play for him at UCLA. So he knew Jerry very well. And uh, Jerry came in and played very well for the Eagles, and then continued on and, and played for the Raiders, and had a. Lo- I think he wound up playing like 15 years in the league. Yeah, Jerry was great. Uh, 
one other thing, you know, I wasn't happy with Carson Wentz the way everything unfolded, but I did root for him, and he he is a huge. You know, I tell my friends in the gym down here, I say he was a huge reason why we don't even get to the Super Bowl without him. And I, I do feel sorry. I hope I hope everything works out for the kid. I mean, it, it, it's a shame to see a guy just go meteoric rise and then just crash. But uh, yeah, sometimes karma bites you in the butt. Sometimes it does, Greg. Um, you know, I it's it's a it's a very strange case, the case of Carson Wentz. I mean, people will talk about if 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 we have really seen the best of Carson Wentz, if this is it. You know, if he just hangs around for a couple of years as a backup and then just kind of slowly fades away, um, I mean, he'll be talked about for years as to, as to the whatever happened to, you know, um, the, the great kind of if, what, what, could, what could have been. Uh, he will be one of them because he was, in 2017, he, he gave all the indications of being a guy that was going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, one of the, one of the elite, elite guys for a long time. And... Um, and it and it has it has fallen apart in spectacular fashion. Like it's just crazy to think, Ray. Like if if Wentz does not get hurt and does not tear his ACL in that game, how much different does the Eagles' future look? How much different does the future in the NFL look? I mean, do they win the Super Bowl that year? Because I mean, you couldn't have played much better than Nick played in those final two games. But I mean, you got to imagine that that Wentz continues on that upward trajectory, and and his career ends up dramatically different. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's not that long ago, but it feels like it's that long ago. Oh, it feels ago. like forever ago. It really does. It really does. I mean, I, I, I mean, anybody that's an Eagles fan, you remember what was being said and felt in this city the day after that game against the Rams when he goes down and he goes off and then you find out that it's a knee injury and then you find out on Monday that it is as bad as you thought and he's done for the year. Uh, I remember being in my car listening to this radio station and just hearing people call up, and I mean, it was like suicide watch. You know, it was like, this is so typical Philadelphia. Just the year when we're finally going to win it, this happens. Um, it was as if the season. It was as if the season had ended that day. Yeah, it was as if the season had ended that day because everybody felt that it was all riding on Carson Wentz, and without Carson Wentz, there was. No chance. I was wrong about it. I mean, the next day, you know, I'm doing a remote down at Chickie's with, uh, with John and Ike, and I'm getting in, like a big argument with Ike because I'm like, oh, the season's over. Wentz is out. They're, they're done, and Ike's trying to talk me off the ledge. Like, this is a good team. They could still win with Nick, and I, I didn't believe it. I, 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 I thought that they were done without Carson that year. I did, too, and I'll tell you, that was, um, that was, the, day, that was the day I really became a believer in Doug Peterson. Because he came out that day at his coach's press conference when he announced the inevitable. He came out and he announced, yeah, Carson Wentz, they've done the MRI, it's torn ACL, he's done, going to get surgery, he's done for the year. And, uh, and at that point, there was the, you know, there was no, oh, woe is me uh, in it at all. I mean, Doug told the reporters that day and told the audience that was listening live on WIP, he said, listen, you know, I feel terrible for Carson Wentz. You know, to me, he's the MVP of the league. He's the leader of this football team. He's had a great year. But we're not sitting where we are right now in first place because of one guy. You know, and I remember him saying, he said, we, that's a really good football team in that locker room down the hall. And uh, he said, we're going to – and Nick Foles has won games in this city before. And we're going to rally around Nick Foles, and we're going to play good football. And I, I really thought it was a – 
it was a tremendous demonstration of leadership mm-hmm. of, of, of when you look to your coach to be the leader that just kind of says, yeah, this is a, this is a tough break, fellas. And we're not kidding. Let's not kid each other. This is a tough break, but we're not turning back. You know, we're, we've come this far and we're going to, and we're going to do this and we're going to do this together. Uh, and, and they did, you know, and against all odds. And that's when, you know, that, that's one of the things that if they, for them to win a Super Bowl would have been special no matter how they did it. Okay. I mean, we all know that if they had, you know, if they had gone, however they had done it, it would have been special, but to do it the way they did it, overcoming what they overcame, then adopting the whole underdog thing with the dog masks and being underdogs in every game in the postseason, including all the games at home. And then you get to the Super Bowl and you're playing the Patriots and you're playing Tom Brady and you're underdogs again and to win it the way they won it. Um, I mean, it just made it so much better. Yeah. It just made it so much better. I mean, it would have been it would have been special and it would have been something that the people in the city would have celebrated for a lifetime. But the way it played out was just made it so remarkable that uh, I mean, it really was. It really was. If the Eagles were ever going to win it, you knew they weren't going to win it easy. You knew it was going to have to be something like that. And sure enough, that's how it went down. That's a great point. Like I'm so happy that the Patriots and Brady won that AFC championship game because if you had played the Jaguars and Blake Bortles, like, of course it would have been, you would have won a Super Bowl. hopefully if they won the game, but it's just so much more special to do it against Patriots. Well, I will, I will tell you this. <laughs> I will, I will tell you a little story about that. Okay. Okay. Um, everybody remembers how the championship Sunday goes down. The first game is, is Jacksonville at new England. Mm-hmm. That game is being played. The Eagles are going to play the Minnesota Vikings afterwards. And we're in the studio at NBC Sports Philly, and we're getting ready to, to do pregame for the Eagles game. And the TV, of course, is on showing the AFC game. And Jacksonville is ahead. Okay, Jacksonville's leading at halftime. Jacksonville scores another touchdown to go further ahead in the third quarter. And everybody in the studio, everybody in the studio, is they're all cheering. They're all screaming and hollering, Jacksonville's going to win. Jacksonville's going to win. We're going to play Jacksonville. And I said... I don't want Jacksonville to win. And everybody looked at me like, are you out of your mind? And I kind of said what you said. I said, I don't want Jacksonville to win. Because I, really I really do believe the Eagles are going to beat Minnesota. And I really believe that the Eagles, there's something special with this team mm-hmm. that I really believe no matter who they play, they're going to win the Super Bowl. And I don't want to beat Jacksonville in the Super Bowl. <laughs> first of all, first of all, Jacksonville brought back memories of the Super Bowl the Eagles lost in Jacksonville to right. the Patriots. Okay. So I don't want any trace of Jacksonville in this game at all. Okay. But the other part of it is kind of what you said, you know, you go to the Super Bowl, and, oh, it'd be Jacksonville. I mean, if you have, let's say the guy who, who sits next in a cubicle next to you at your office is like a cowboy fan. Right. And he's got like cowboy pennants all over his thing. You know, those people, they're, yeah, yeah. they're out there. Okay. Uh, and, and all he's been doing is bugging you for, you know, for years about how the Eagles are never going to win. The Eagles are never going to win. Cowboys won. Cowboys won. And now you're going to win the Super Bowl, and you're going to come in that Monday, and you're going to say, I'm going to tell that guy off. And you're going to say, ha-ha, see? And you know what he'll say? Yeah, right. You beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. You beat Blake Bortles. Yeah. So do you really want, do you really want it to come with that? You know, so if the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl, and I really think they are, Let's beat the best. Yeah. So I'm rooting for the Patriots, and sure enough, that's how it turned out. No doubt about it. 215-592-9494. Get back to the phones when we get back. Also, uh, get Ray's thoughts on the 2022 Hall of Fame class. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly in for Glenn Mack now, along with Ray Dinger, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. 
Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.